Father, I pray that your spirit may be upon us, that we may hear your word and receive it gladly, and that you would teach us of the deep things of knowing you, that we may be better equipped and more ready to love you and to serve you in the world you send us to. For Jesus Christ's sake, amen. So we had at the beginning of our service that uh, little video from the Archbishop of Canterbury. He told me he wanted to come himself personally, but couldn't quite make it today, a bit busy. So he sent us a video uh, in which he told us that 85 countries around the world and millions of people have prayed, Thy kingdom come. And indeed, at the end of the service, or as the service is ending, we come to the corner here under the very banner, and we pray for the kingdom to come in the lives and be made manifest in the lives of the people who come for prayer. And then the archbishop at the end said, go and do something about it. Well, what should we expect if we pray that prayer? What should we expect if we do indeed go and do something about it? What is likely to be on offer for someone in that position? Well, I want to tell you that on the one hand, there's going to be big trouble. Jesus says there will be trouble. Life with Jesus is not one continual long bless up. We'd like, we'd like it to be. And we struggle sometimes to accept that it isn't because we think being a Christian should make life a bit easier. But in this, uh, in this uh, chapter 10 of Matthew's Gospel, in the, in the verses just before we've had read to us, if you look there, verses 17 through to 23, Jesus speaks of arrest and trial and betrayal for those who speak of him. Uh, so you can expect a bit of bother. Last week, uh, you remember, you were here, you were given a little stone, and you wrote on it, God loves you, and the request was, take it out and stick it on a random doorstep. And somebody said that was a real challenge to them. And uh, I'm, I'm glad it was. And bravo to them for... Uh, acknowledging that and facing up to it. Uh, I think they went and they two or three more as well, just to sort of do it. But actually, the challenge of putting that uh, anonymous stone on a random doorstep is small beer. We have brothers and sisters in Asia and in the Far East who are imprisoned, persecuted, murdered for their faith in Jesus. And Jesus says we need to come to terms with that. We need to be prepared for that challenge as well. So we may expect some trouble, but the verses that we've had read to us uh, by Pat are verses that bring encouragement in the midst of that uh, adversity. Three times Jesus says to his followers, do not be afraid on account of it. Do not be afraid. He says it in verse 26 and again in verse 28 and again in verse 31. Do not be afraid. 
And he gives us the circumstances in which we are not to be afraid. And the first one, is this is a triple A sermon. A triple A sermon. The first one is when you are accused. Verse 25. If the the head of the household has been called Beelzebul, how much more the, the members of his household? See, there's going to be genuine misunderstanding of what we're about. And there will also be deliberate distortions of our motives that people put out there. Uh, just a couple of chapters before, in chapter 9, in fact, uh, Jesus has delivered someone from the possession of an evil spirit. And those who speak against Jesus say, it's by the spirit of Beelzebul that he has delivered these spirits. And Beelzebul is the word, as you know, or the name, as you know, for the devil himself. He was the evil spirit of evil spirits, they were saying about Jesus. He was the devil himself. Nothing worse or more perverted could be said of Jesus. Nothing was a worse distortion of the truth. But Jesus says we've got to expect it and we've got to accept it. Verse 24 and 25, he says, the student is not above the master. It's enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like the master. That's what they've done to your teacher. That's what they've done to your master. That is what they will do to you. And we know it happens, don't we? Just uh, last week, Tim Farron, leader of the Liberal Party, the Liberal Party, Not so liberal. Can't be the leader of the Liberal Party because of his traditional conservative evangelical views. Never mind his voting record or his politics. He's suspect because of his orthodox conservative Christian beliefs. And on the radio and the television we hear uh, educated pundits claiming that... uh, Uh, religious faith has caused more wars than anything else. It's not true, by the way. Uh, They say Christian faith has oppressed women, even though Christian faith has actually liberated women in history. They say that Christian faith is just out uh, for power and control of the masses, even though we speak of our weaknesses and our need of God, the very first word of of wisdom and knowledge that we had. They talk about Christianity being a crutch for the weak. Well, that's true. But it misses the point that we are all weak. We're all in need of a saviour. See, all of these things that are out there and that we encounter, don't we, day by day really, They are a distortion of the truth of our faith, a denial of it. But Jesus says, don't be afraid of them, because the truth will out, in verse 26. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, nothing hidden that will not be made known. You've been told the truth, so stick to it, live by it, because in the end, everybody, everybody will see that it's the truth. 
you'll be seen to have followed the Lord's true word. Despite what the world says about the followers of Jesus, those who've lived in integrity and innocence will be vindicated. Now, it's not the warm, woolly, cuddly kind of God is with you and protect you in all things kind of faith. It's the real outcome of faith that endures the hardships of false accusation. Do not be afraid of those who accuse you. And then the next circumstance is, uh, is do not be afraid when they try to kill you, when they're trying to uh, assassinate you. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. The enemies of God's followers... The followers of Jesus may throw them to the lions. They might burn them. They might chop them into a thousand pieces. But they cannot destroy the soul. They cannot destroy the real you. And there have been plenty of Christians who have endured that and faced it with courage through the years. Most of us aren't facing that prospect of martyrdom or assassination. But we have to come to terms with the implication. Never so ready to live as when we're ready to die. Following Jesus before life itself. Martin Luther King said that if someone uh, hasn't found something to die for, then they haven't got anything to live for. And to have overcome the fear of death is to have overcome the fear of most things in life. And Jesus assures his followers of God's hand in the circumstance. He says, not even being killed by evil men can thwart God's purposes. Verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father? And even the very hairs on your head are numbered. I haven't got many of those, but they're numbered by God. Me and you the same, Paul. <laughs> so don't be afraid. You are worth much more than many sparrows. See, simply put, if God is involved in the death of a sparrow, he's going to be involved in your death. He's involved in every intimate detail of our lives. That's his greatness. And he's involved in every detail of our death too. And if he is, then to be faithful followers, we are called to acknowledge Christ in our life, whatever the consequences of that may be. And when we acknowledge Christ in our life, then we can be sure he will acknowledge us in our death. He says there in verse 32, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But then the reverse is true also. In the next verse he says, whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. 
So don't be afraid of those who kill the body but can't kill the soul. Because God assures us of his hand in our lives and in our deaths. And nothing can thwart his will and purpose. So that's the second circumstance in which we shouldn't be afraid. The third circumstance when we should not be afraid is when we are alone. It's particularly, actually, when, uh, as our faithful following, it separates us from the people that we live with. When their agenda of the people that we live with is not the agenda of Christ. And it can put people in families at odds. Non-believing husbands can be jealous of their wife's faith and the amount of time they spend with the church. Parents can resent the loss of control over their children and the loss of their ambition for them. See, faithful following of Christ can separate us from those who feel they have first call on us. It says, verse 34, Do not suppose I've come to bring peace to the earth. I didn't come to bring peace but a sword, and then he quotes from uh, the prophet Micah, I've come to turn uh, a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies will be members of his own household. See, what he's saying is that allegiance to Jesus is above everything else. Allegiance to Jesus comes at the top of every priority list. Allegiance to Jesus embraces everything. It, it demands everything. But also it offers everything and it promises everything. It's an absolute demand of Jesus. And it was difficult. We know it was difficult for those who knew him in the flesh. Peter denied him. Judas betrayed him. Thomas refused to believe in him. It's tough, but it's the truth. And we do find it difficult, do we not? We had that strange reading from uh, Genesis 21 with uh, sending away uh, his wife's handmaid and the, and the boy uh, Ishmael. And, the, and then next week it gets worse. We're going to read about it and study it next week where uh, Abraham takes Isaac up the mountain and is going to kill him because he puts God more important than his own son. Now don't worry, I'm not going to be telling you doing that. We're not going to be doing that with our children next week. It's a difficult story to read though because we can't quite see how Jesus can be more important than family. But that is the very point. Verse 37 says it right there. Anyone who loves their father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their daughter more than me is not worthy of me. To be a Christian is no longer to be bound by the people with whom we share the same blood. We're people bound together by the blood of Christ. Our true family is not the family we were born into. 
Our true family is here. The relationships we have with our blood family come to an end at death. But the relationships we have with God's people, God's faithful followers, endure forever. You and I are bound together forever. Like it or not, I will be there with you. But even a husband and wife are only bound together until death them do part. And after that, they are no longer and never will be husband and wife. So do not be afraid of being alone in your blood family. Because God sets the lonely in the family of his church. So we're not to be afraid of being falsely accused, of being assassinated or of being alone in our family. But Jesus does tell us one thing to be afraid of. And actually it's a bit of a paradox. What a paradox is, is where two things are true, but they seem to be kind of diametrically opposed. Uh, And it comes strangely between two statements about not being afraid. In verse 28 he says, do not be afraid. And then he goes on to say, in the same verse, rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. And then a little later on, again in verse 31, he says, do not be afraid. Why should Jesus say, tell his followers not to be afraid, then to be afraid, and then not to be afraid again? Well, it's because the followers of Jesus have enemies on two levels. There are enemies who can harm us in the body, but not destroy the soul. And we need not be afraid of them. That's what he's been saying. But there are, uh, there's a deeper and a darker enemy the evil one himself, who can destroy the soul if we allow ourselves to be influenced by him. And the issue is that when we respond to evil with evil, that's the way to hell. When you respond to the evil of false accusation with the evil yourself, You damn yourself. When you respond to those who want to assassinate you with a similar desire to bump them off, it's a destruction of the soul. When we respond to evil with evil in those circumstances, then we have lost ourselves. That's what Jesus is saying, be afraid of. Because we're under the influence of the evil one. And Jesus wants his followers to be well aware of that and to be afraid of that possibility. And the paradox is that the way to be afraid of the evil one who can destroy the body by influencing us in that way is to not be afraid of those who falsely accuse you, try to assassinate you and who uh, uh, separate out from you and make you alone. 
Because if we are not afraid in those circumstances, then we don't respond to it with the evil that uh, destroys us. We won't fight evil with evil. So the key to our faithful following is to put Jesus at the top of every priority list. He's the one who has our allegiance and in every circumstance of life. Whether we're accused, whether we're assassinated, whether we are alone, Jesus is Lord. And the truth is that this is the way to life itself. The way to truly and fully live. He says, if you're faithless in our following, if something is more important than Jesus, we are not worthy of him. Because he counted you more valuable, more important, more of a priority than anything else in his interest. So he says, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross daily and follow me is not worthy of me. But on the other hand, those who give their very selves, both in life and death, will find the fullness of life indeed. Whoever finds his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is a tough message today. It takes us deep into whether what we say here really means anything. And when we think about the Archbishop's words, just do something about it. Who knows? He may be asking us to go out and do the unthinkable and give up our very lives for him. So may God enable us to be faithful followers of Christ this day and every day in order that we may live in the eternal glories of his kingdom. Amen.